I don't know if you can remember the first time you were more excited to give a gift than you were to get one. Um, at some point, it begins to shift. Now, everyone likes to, to get gifts, but at some point, uh, as we grow, especially when we have kids or maybe grandkids or people we care about, we enjoy giving gifts uh, more than we enjoy receiving gifts. For me, I remember when I was a kid, there was uh, our school would do a little mini Christmas store a little general store, and they would bring in all these little items, and your parents would send you to school with money, and then you would go through the store, and you would buy things for your family and, and for your parents, and then they would wrap them so that you could give them to your parents on Christmas morning, and they wouldn't know what it was, and it would be a surprise. Well, I was in probably first grade, and I bought my dad a mini hacksaw. Now, I didn't know what mini or hack meant, but I knew a saw was like a manly thing, and my dad was a man, and he probably would like it, and so I bought this little mini hack saw for him and gave it to him on Christmas morning, and sure enough, one, one day, he, uh, he did use it. when the sprinkler, There was a sprinkler that broke, and he used it to replace a pipe, and I was so excited to give him that, that mini hack saw, and that, that was probably the earliest memory I have of being excited to give more than just excited to receive. Um, probably the most excited I've ever been, other than when I proposed to Laura, to give anyone a gift was our first Christmas in Florida. We'd been married um, about two years or a little over two years. And we had bought a house and we were renovating the inside of the house because it was really old and needed a lot of work done. And we were redoing the kitchen. And one thing she said is she really wanted a double oven because, I don't know, I guess you want to cook two things at the same time. I guess that's the idea of a double oven. You're cooking two things at the same time. And I told her there's just no way we're going to be able to buy a double oven because a single oven and a double oven weren't just, a double oven wasn't just twice as much. It was quite a bit more, maybe triple or even four times the cost, at least the ones we were looking at. And so I'd said there's probably no way we're going to be able to afford to buy a double oven. Well, little did she know, I had gone to Sears before Christmas and I bought a double oven for her and arranged to have it delivered after the first of the year. And, and, and Christmas morning, we got through all the gifts. Everyone opened all the gifts. It's like, uh, we didn't have kids yet, but it was like grandparents, you know, par parents and family and brothers and sisters. We're all opening gifts and everything's done. There's paper everywhere. And I, and I, I had had one gift that I'd hidden behind the Christmas tree. It was not the double oven. That wouldn't fit behind the, the Christmas tree. But I had printed a picture of the oven and I'd put it in a box so that, you know, she, she thought everything was done and over. I said, oh, there's one more, uh, like, like Steve Jobs writing the old keynote. There, Wait, there's one more thing. And she opened this box, and I'd, I'd wrapped it and put the picture in right toward the top, and there was tissue paper so that she opened the tissue paper. And, I mean, you would have thought I'd given her the moon. She just was like crying. She was so excited. And I just, I, I can't tell you a thing I got that Christmas. I, that season, that year, I don't know what I received, but I can tell you that I will always remember giving her that gift. I was so excited to give her that gift. It's part of growing up and maturing, isn't it? To be more excited to give than to receive, to give gifts than to get them. I started seeing this in Adeline, my eight-year-old this year. She, Christmas morning, brought me a, a present, and she just, she had this smile that was as, as wide as the room on her face. She was so excited, and she, she brought me this gift, and she, she held it up, and she said, Daddy, 
can't wait for you to open this gift. I picked it out, and inside I open it, and there's tissue paper. It's wrapped in tissue paper, and it's a mug that says, Rad Dad. And, she, and I'm starting to see this maturing in her and this excitement to give rather than just to get. This is a mark of personal maturity, but it's also a mark of Christian maturity to be more excited to give than to receive. We're in this series called Fixer Upper about renovating your spiritual life. And we've talked about some of these key practices like reading the Bible as sort of this foundation stone and prayer. And then last week we talked about something maybe you don't hear a lot about, and that's fasting and abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Well, we talked about that as sort of like a foundation for your Christian life, these practices, and sorting this foundation of, of renovating your Christian life. Well, what I want to talk about this morning is sort of like a building inspection for your foundation. It's sort of like seeing if your foundation is really what it's supposed to be, if your money is where your mouth is. And what we're talking about today is giving. We're talking about a practice that, that shows whether the Bible reading and the prayer and the fasting is actually doing anything to you, if it's actually shaping you and changing you. Because here's a surefire way to know if you're growing in the image of Christ and growing spiritually, and that is how do you handle your money? Is God the king? You know, everybody, lo- everybody you know, you read your Bible and pray, it's like you're receiving from the Lord, and it's a discipline, yes, but it's like, oh, it's refreshing, and it's so wonderful, and you make time to do it, and you're so glad that you did, but is God the king of your debit card, or your Apple Pay, or your Venmo, or your Visa, or your cash and credit? Here's, here's the thing. It's possible to give money to God and give money to other people and not become more like Jesus. It's possible to do that. But it's not possible to become more like Jesus if you're not generously giving money to God and to others. It is the sign of whether Jesus is showing up in reality in your life. Christian faith is about receiving. It's about receiving from God. That, that's the posture of the Christian is, is we, we are open-handed and we, are, we, we don't bring anything to the table. God created us. He created the world and he created it good. And then we ran away from God and we do run away from God. And running away from God is called sin. And, and sin separates us from God and separates us from one another. It creates all sorts of havoc in our lives. And, and the, the Bible says we can't buy our way out of our sin. We can't fix our own sin. We can't, we can't purchase our forgiveness, only receive our forgiveness that God purchased for us. And so Christians are not f- giving people first. They're receiving people. We receive from God first of all. We, we turn from our sin and we trust in the gift of God's salvation in His Son Jesus who was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And then, and then God, when we do that, he forgives us. He washes us clean. He gives us eternal life. He changes us completely. And then, then our life begins to change, and we want to spend time with him and read the Bible and pray and, and to submit to him and fast. And we want to give generously to others. See, spiritual maturity is both receiving and giving. It is receiving the gift of salvation what the Bible calls in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing, and then it is generously pouring back out from this embarrassment of riches that God has given to us. 
giving money is a practice that both flows from and then flows to a changed life. You give because you have been changed, but the practice of giving also increasingly changes you and makes you more like Jesus. We give because we have received from God, and in the course of our giving, in the practice of giving, God makes us more like Jesus. Now, I know that in a room like this, and when we gather as a church, we have all sorts of different people. We have old people and young people. We have white people and black people. We have liberal people and conservative people. We have Christians and non-Christians. We have people who've been coming to church for a long time, people who are back in church for the first time in a long time. And some of you may be skeptical about Christianity, and you may be skeptical specifically about churches who talk about money. And there's a lot of distrust of churches on this issue because, unfortunately, there have been abuses of spiritual authority on this issue. And, and you see, um, Robert was telling us at Bible study about a pastor who I won't name who got into some issues with his wife and bought her a Lamborghini to try to fix things. Well, that's a, I would understand being skeptical. If, if, if someone has enough money to do that, like, what's going on there? I tell you, the only Lamborghini I can buy my wife would fit into the palm of my hand and be a, uh, a Hot Wheels Lamborghini. But I get it. There has been abuse of this, and there has been, the, the, there are pastors and churches who have abused the responsibility that God has given them and have broken the trust of people. And so, before we go further, I just want to say, on behalf of pastors and churches, that I am sorry for the way churches and pastors have let you down. Too often, churches and pastors have failed people, and they've, some of them, and some of you, it's very personal, and they have failed you. Let me also say that these are the exceptions Across, that, that these are the exceptions, that I, m many of my best friends are pastors. It's just kind of like you meet a cop and all his friends are cops. You meet a firefighter and all her friends are firefighters. You meet a nurse and all her friends are nurses. It's just kind of like you end up being friends with people in your, you know, sort of career. It's just the way it works. And I'm friends with a lot of pastors and most of them, in fact, all of, I don't know a single one who isn't making less money being a pastor than they could if they were in the marketplace. Um, these, 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 these abuses are real, but they are the exception. They get a lot of publicity, but they are not the rule. Um, and so what I, what I want to say is that I understand the abuse, but just realize that those things are publicized, and those are the exception rather than the rule. And what happens is, because of the abuses and because of, because of all the skepticism... Some pastors, and I've been there too, and I, it's, it's, it's natural to want to do this, are afraid to talk about money because they're afraid of being labeled and they're afraid of abusing God's people by asking for money and by coming across or even being tempted to become like some of these terrible examples that we could all probably bring to mind. My goal for our church is on the one hand, not to shy away from talking about it, to not be afraid to talk about it, but on the other hand, not to obsess about it. 
The Bible talks about money in 1 Timothy 6. It says, it's, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. In the, the context there, it's talking to people who are rich. Now, we say, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. There's a, there's a thing. I can't remember the exact uh, web address, but you can put in your income or your home equity, and it will tell you your uh, level, like, you know, hear about the 1%. And I guarantee you that if you live in the United States and you're able to pay your electric bill and you have a car, that you are in the upper echelon of wealth worldwide and, in fact, in the history of humanity. On the other hand, if we, if we, if we obsess about this, we're going we're gonna to have a problem because money could be the root of evil and we don't want to obsess about it. But, but also, if we ignore it, and if I ignore it, I'm actually robbing you of an opportunity to become like Jesus. Jesus talks about money a whole lot. He talks about money a whole lot. And the way we re- relate to our money is a huge part of our discipleship and our following of Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to help you become the person God has called you to be. I want to help you become the person God has called you to be. And giving money financially, submitting your resources to God is as much a part of Christian growth as reading the Bible, praying, or fasting. The Bible talks about it all the time, and so we're going to talk about it today. And one of the most powerful places in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, to give you a little context here, Corinth was a... uh, a city in modern-day Greece that Paul the Apostle, um, who's a man who came to Christ, and, and Jesus saved him miraculously, and he went, and he told people about Jesus in the city of Corinth, and people came to know Jesus, and they started a new church. And then this church was a good church, but it had all sorts of issues and all sorts of dysfunction. And so what Paul did is he wrote them letters to try to help them sort through some of these issues. And one letter we have is called 1 Corinthians, and it's a letter that he wrote to them. And then there's the letter we call 2 Corinthians, and he's trying um, to, to address a number of these issues in the letter of 2 Corinthians, um, talking about a number of things. But, but in particular, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he's reminding them of the fact that they had committed to give to an offering for saints that were in need elsewhere that they had committed, sort of like PBS does their pledge drives every once in a while, um, and, and you know they're asking for money, and you call in and say, I'll give $50 a month, and for a great gift of $50, you get this DVD, you know, or whatever. And, and, but they don't get the money in hand. It's a pledge. It's, it's a promise that they'll receive it. It's like an IOU. Well, the, the, the Corinthian church had given Paul an IOU that they would give to this collection for these needy saints, these saints who are in financial need. And so he writes this section of 2 Corinthians verses chapters 8 and 9 to address this and encourage them to follow through on giving what they had promised. And what I want to do in these two chapters is I want to preach, I'm going to preach to you a 22-point sermon. I'm going to pull out 22 principles for financial giving. Now, I'm not going to preach a long sermon we're going to go through these really, really quickly. There's no way, you might be able to write them all down, but there's no way you're going to be able to process them all comprehensively. But my hope is simply to somewhat overwhelm you, 
but also to inspire you with a biblical vision of giving. These, two point, these 22 points, I'm gonna, 22 principles don't even cover all of what the Bible teaches, although I think they will give you a good understanding. So with that in mind, let's start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, 1. Giving is a gift to you when you give. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. This word there, grace, is is the word for gift. Just like the free gift of salvation in Christ is a gift, so the opportunity to give itself is a gift. Giving is not just something we have to do or should do or, or do because we need to obey. It is those things, but it is actually a gift to us to be able to give. Giving is a gift to you when you give. Second, you can give. You can give. Look at verse 2. He says, during a severe trial... Brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is so so what he's saying is this this poor church, these poor Christians have given more than you have, Corinthians. Now, Corinth was a very wealthy area. And this would be like somebody who's living on the intercoastal or say, say they're this group of people and they all you know, belong to like this, this elite wealthy club and they, they live in these really nice houses and they have lots of income and nice cars and really nice stuff. And, and he goes to this church full of people like that and he says, you know this church full of people from Section 8 Housing, they have given 10 times more than you have to this effort. That's what he's saying. And he's saying if they can give out of their poverty, you can certainly give out of your abundance. You can give. No matter your financial situation, you can give. That's the first myth you need to debunk in your mind. I can't give. Money's too tight. Things are too difficult. That is not true. You absolutely, 100% can give. Number three, giving should cost you something. Verse 3, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they gave. Um, If you've never written a check that didn't make you say, ouch. Now, I'm sure we've all written a check like that for something, but but in terms of a gift that that didn't hurt a little bit, if you've never had difficulty pressing give on tithely or signing your name and putting it in that envelope, um, you're missing out. You're missing out. Patricia Heaton, she was the mom uh, in Everybody Loves Raymond, and uh, uh, I, I think she's uh, a Catholic, but she, she's uh, a person of faith, and she, she said this, and she's making a million, and she's making a lot of money, right? She's got a lot of money. She's got a lot more than probably anyone in here. She's got a lot of money. But she said, I struggle to keep it simple in terms of her faith. Obedience, sacrifice, and modesty are not real popular buzzwords. An issue I'm dealing with lately is, do I have too much money, and am I being a good steward of it? In fact, I was just talking to a friend about tithing, just giving our 10% as opposed to giving until it actually starts costing you something, which is what I think tithing is all about. The idea is, you know, for some people, 10% is a massive sacrifice. For some people, 10% is like just, it's, it's an afterthought. 
The point isn't necessarily the number so much as is it costing you something to give? What does that look like for you? Number four, giving is partnering in mission. Verse four, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. The word there for sharing in the ministry is actually the Greek word koinonia. It's kind of like a Christian buzzword. It's a Greek word that means fellowship. But it doesn't, sometimes we think of fellowship as like when we get together and have coffee, right? Now that is good. That's fellowship. I, I like coffee and I like talking to people while having coffee. But here we see, and throughout the Bible, we see that fellowship is a bigger term than that. It's partnership in mission that includes financial investment. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 5, and he talks about their fellowship or their partnership or their koinonia in the gospel. Multiple times, Paul talks about fellowship as not just being friendly in community, but giving and investing financially. Now, as a, as a new church, we don't fund ourselves internally, completely. Um, this year, our goal is to have 45% of our budget come from inside our church, and then 55% of our budget is being given by churches and people who don't come to our church, who are networks and churches and people who believe in our mission and want to see a church planted in this part of South Florida, and so they are giving 55% of our budget. They are partnering or fellowshipping or koinonia in the mission. And our goal was by our third birthday to be completely self-supporting. That's about two and a half years from now. So this year it's a 55-45, and then next year we'll need to go like 60 internal, 40 external, and then by year three to get to 100%. It's partnership and mission. When you give, you're not just doing your duty, you're not just giving because you're supposed to give, although you should give and you are doing your duty, but it is partnership in mission. It's giving to a mission, just like, you know, if you were giving to a missionary, that is what giving is. Number five, you give to God before you give to others. Verse five, I told you we were going to go through these fast. And not just as we had hoped, instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. First to the Lord and then to us. So, so when you're giving... When you give and you write that check or you click that give link, you're not, first of all, giving to any human group. You are serving and worshiping God. You are worshiping God. This is why giving is a part of a church worship service. Not just because that's the time when all the donors are present and people can give money and you raise money for, for the organization. No, it's because giving as a Christian is an act of worship. And you give to God before you give to anyone else. And that's financial and that's non-financial. Now, when we get here, and, and the guys who get here at 8 a.m. every Sunday, and they're moving stuff out of the way, and they're like, you know, barely awake, and you're moving stuff, and you're dragging stuff out of the closet, and it's raining, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so tired. You remember, I'm not doing this for any person. I'm doing this for God. Number six, you should aim to give more. You should aim to give more. And I'm so glad this is in the Bible because I would feel really bad just telling you this. I would feel really bad and I'd feel guilty to tell you this, but it's in the Bible, so I get, I get to say it and I have to say it, and I don't feel bad about it because look what he says, verse 7. 
as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us. This is a people full of spiritual gifting and community and love. And he says, excel also in this act of grace. He says, step it up a notch. Put the pedal to the metal. Give out of your overflow and your abundance. Start small and dream big. Start giving and increase. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And that book sold 33 million copies. Well, I don't know if you know this. When you write a book that sells 33 million copies, you get really, really rich. You get really rich when you write a book that sells 33 million copies. And so what Rick Warren has done is he has said, I don't even need 10% of my income, let alone 90. And so he lives a reverse tithe. And so he lives off 10% and gives away 90 because he has the means to do that. So it's not like you just give proportionately, like you give 10% and if you make more, you give more, but even increasing the percentage So maybe you can give $25 a week right now. That's what you can do. Or $250 per paycheck or $1,000 per month. Keep growing. Go from 25 to 26. Go from 25 to 30. Go from 35 to 40. Go from 250 to 270. Increase your giving and excel in this act of grace. If you're giving 10%, which by the way is only 2 or 3% of Christians... So if you're giving 10%, you're like special forces, elite donor level status, like platinum level giving, which is awesome and praise God if you are, but aim for 11. Aim to increase and excel. Number seven, your giving should flow from genuine love. It's not just a duty, it's a delight. It's not just a got to, but it's a get to. If you genuinely love, you will give. Look what he says there in verse Oh, excuse me, verse 8. Um, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. If you love someone, you're going to invest in them. Number eight, your giving should be motivated by the gospel. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that his, by his poverty you might become rich. So Jesus was God the Son, eternally with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, three, God, three persons, one God, eternally fellowshiped, not needing anything, not lacking anything, but he said he would come to earth, set aside the riches of heaven, take on the, the identity and the nature of a human so that he would suffer, not just become a man, but become a humiliated man, not just a humiliated man, but a crucified man, all so that we could have a relationship with God and be forgiven. And if Jesus gave that for us, how could we not give to God and to others? When we see the gospel, we see what Jesus has given, it takes away our excuses and it takes away our hesitation because of what he has given to us. Number nine, your giving makes you more like Jesus. There in that verse, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be like Jesus. You want to grow in Christian faith. You want to become a better Christian, however you say it. That means to become more like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? He sacrificed and he gave. One pastor, I said this, one of my favorite quotes about giving is God, giving is not God's way of raising money. 
It's God's way of raising children. How does he shape you? How does he, he, want, he wants your heart. The, only, the reason God wants your money is not because God is desperate for resources. It's because he wants your heart, and your heart will follow your money. That's what Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Number 10, at some point, you just, you just have to start. At some point, you just got to stop making excuses and start giving. Look at verse 10. In this manner, I'm giving advice because it's profitable to you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. At some point, you just got to start. So you can't give 10%. You don't have, that, you don't have the, the wiggle room for 10%. You can't, maybe, you could give, I'm telling you, there's not a person in this room who couldn't go to crossunited.org right now and click give and give $1. There's not a person who couldn't do that. Every person can give. And you say, oh man, that's not enough. That feels insulting. I can't give the Lord only $1. Well, if you're giving him zero, don't you think one is better? If you're giving him zero, isn't $10 better than $0? Someone's like, it's all or nothing. I can't tithe, so I don't give anything. Well, that's a crazy calculus. Start. You've got to, at some point, you've just got to start. Start giving. 11, you should follow through in your giving. Also, finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be completion according to what you have. Follow through, give, and give consistently. It adds up. When I was in seminary, I worked at Starbucks, and there was a guy named Daniel. And Daniel came in every day, and Daniel bought a $4 and however many cent iced vanilla latte every day, Monday through Friday. And I worked the early shift, and I'd serve him his coffee. And one day, I was talking to Daniel, and this is probably not a good thing to say as a you know, employee of the, of the company. But I said, man, $4 a week times five days a week, $4 a day times five days a week, that's $20 a week. Let's say you get two weeks vacation, and I added up, man, I'm like, man, you're like spending $1,000 a year on this stuff. And there's another guy there, was a, another regular customer, he goes, well, that's selling him, right? I, it, it, you add it up, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm spending so much on this. And the same way with giving. So you can only give a little bit, but it adds up if you're consistent and you increase it. There was a study done recently that shows uh, that millennials spend, 41% of millennials spend more on coffee than they do on retirement savings. The average American spends $3 a day on coffee. And you add it up, and the average American spends $1,100 a year on coffee. And if you can spend $1,100 a year on coffee, you can certainly give $1,100 to the Lord. Number 12, you're blessed to be a blessing. Verses 12 through 15. For the eagerness uh, is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It's not there that there should be relief for others and hardship for you. So not that, you know, that people could be relieved, but then you can't buy food for yourself. But it's a question, verse uh, 13, of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. I had a seminary professor who used to go into churches, and he would preach 
and say, you know, there's someone here who's planning to spend $30,000 on a boat. And there's someone else in here, it was in, 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 in our community, there were a lot of people who did international adoptions, and it was really expensive, like $30,000, $40,000. He said, there's another person in here, there's another family trying to raise $30,000 to adopt a baby. What if the person who was trying to buy the boat found the family who was trying to adopt the baby and invested in that instead? Well, here, there's probably someone who's trying to pay a $157 light bill. And there's probably another person who's going to spend, whether they're planning to or not, $157 in the month of February on coffee. Well, what if the person with the $157 coffee habit went and found the person with the $157 light bill and invested in that instead? Number 13, the desire to give can only come from God. And this applies just more than just giving. Every desire, every good and perfect desire, God, God has to change inside of our heart. Thanks be to God, verse 16, who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus. God changes our hearts so that we care and our desires change. We want to do good and not do bad. We, he changes us. I was at a, a, a cohort this week with some other church planters. It was like a training and encouragement thing. We were looking at Nehemiah. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, and he hears the news that Jerusalem's walls are broken down. And I don't know about you, but if it's a place I'd never been or never seen, and I hear that, I'm, it's not going to affect me, but, G, but Nehemiah breaks down and he weeps over Jerusalem. And I made the point, like, I don't know that there are many things in my life that I care about to that point. I'm just, you know, I, the, may, like my family and our church and stuff, but like, I don't care, you know, how does Nehemiah care so much about Jerusalem, a place he's never even been? Yes, he knows it's his, you know, family city, and he's a Jewish man, and it's like where God's p- promise was, but like he's never personally been there. And my buddy who was there, who was leading the cohort, said, only God, only God can put that desire and that kind of pa- feeling into the heart of a person, just like he put it into the heart of Titus to care for the Corinthian church. Only God can make us care that people are lost. Only God can make us care. And the desire to give financially or any other way can only come from God. And so if you don't desire to give, pray that God would change your heart. Number 14, giving should be handled with accountability by trustworthy people. Verses 17 uh, through 24. He welcomed our appeal, Titus did, and being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. We have sent with him the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. By the way, there's not, this guy's not named. Just a side note, this isn't one of the 20, this is the 23rd point, like extra for, for free. Um, that he's not named, and yet God used him enormously. God can use your anonymous service that no one else sees, but God knows. Not only that, he was appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about the large sum that we are administering. Indeed, we are careful, giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. We have also sent with them our brother. We have tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. 
Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. So he's saying, basically what he's saying is these guys are trustworthy. Yes, you're going to give all this money. How do you know it's going to be safe? Because there's trustworthy people. You don't know this guy. I'm not even going to say his name, but he is known and he is trustworthy. One thing we, we try to do for, for accountability's sake is like every Sunday we have two people count the offering and then the, the deposit is cross-verified just to try to keep everything on the up and up because giving should be managed and handled with accountability by trustworthy people. Number 15, giving is a ministry, chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it's unnecessary for me to write to you. The ministry to the saints. So they're going to minister to the saints through this gift. Sometimes we think of giving as a professional, excuse me, ministry as a profession. That's like what professionals do. That's like what the pastor does. He does ministry. He's called to ministry. He's a minister. But that's not the biblical view. Ministry is any time one person serves another. And you serve others by giving. Number 16, you should give eagerly. Chapter 9, verse 2. For I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia, that's the region they were in, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Uh, one of Laura's favorite movies is You've Got Mail. Um, and the, the main character in the, in the movie, played by Meg Ryan, has a little independent bookstore that's being uh, shoved out of business by the massive corporate chain um, that's owned and run by Tom Hanks and his family. Um, and, and the employees of this little bookstore are lamenting, what are they going to do? We're going out of business. How are we going to find new jobs? And this old lady who works in the store says, well, don't worry about me. I'm very rich. I bought Intel at six. And she talks about how she invested in Intel early on and had that investment had multiplied. Imagine investing in the ground floor of Apple or Google or Facebook. Your financial, you, you, you would have been eager for that opportunity if you could do it over again. This is the eagerness we should have when we give to the Lord and give to others. Number 17, giving requires management. Chapter 9, verse 5. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift. So Paul's saying someone had to oversee this thing. It wasn't just going to magically get there. There's got to be oversight and there's got to be management. And there's got to be bookkeeping and all of this. We have a bookkeeper, a professional bookkeeper who works with a number of churches and ministries who does all our books for Cross United because giving requires management. Number 18, uh, giving multiplies proportionate blessing. Verse 6, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Um, if you could go back and invest in one of those things I just said, or if you could go back and invest in like Uber before, you know, they were Uber, or they're worth like $60 billion now as a company. If you could invest, if you could go back in time and invest in those things, you would do it without hesitation. Like Back to the Future 2, he gets this almanac of sports scores from the future, and he brings it back, and he starts in betting on all these things because he knows, he knows what's going to happen. You would invest everything you could 
If you knew that this stock was going to go bananas, you would beg, borrow, and probably not steal because you're, you know, you're a good person and a Christian and you're not going to steal, but you're going to take out loans, you're going to borrow money, you're going to do everything you can, you're going to sell stuff because you know this is a sure thing and it's going to multiply hundreds and hundreds of times over. Well, giving to the Lord is even more sure than that. And the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You wonder why you're not reaping abundance in your life. And I'm not talking about prosperity like sow your seed and God will make you rich. I just mean you wonder why things don't seem to be able to break through. Maybe it's because you have not submitted your finances to the Lord. Maybe you're sowing sparingly and therefore also reaping sparingly. Number 19, giving should be willing and cheerful. Chapter 9, verse 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Just like if you understood what God is doing through your giving, and if you understood what God is doing in you through your giving, and if you understood the eternal reward of the investment you're making, you wouldn't give begrudgingly, you wouldn't give because it's your duty, you would give because you are thrilled to do it. Number 20, giving requires you to trust God. God is able, verse 8, to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it's written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. This is the the question at the end of the day is, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him with what matters most to you? Do you trust him when he says that giving is the way of the Christian life? Do you trust him to provide? When giving means you're not sure how you're going to pay the other thing, you're not paying because you're giving instead. Do you trust that God will provide? I've seen God provide too many times, just in my own little life, and I've seen the stories in the Bible, and I've heard stories from you and from Christians both now and through the ages of how God provides. Who are you to say that he won't provide for you? He will. He will provide for you. Do you trust him? Number 21, giving glorifies God. Chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided in this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. Giving glorifies God. At the end of the day, this is why we give, to bring praise and glory to God and we don't know when that's going to happen. And we give in secret. And we don't, we don't make a big show of it. But God receives glory. And he will receive glory for eternity. Every penny you invest, every act of service you perform is storing up in an eternal account where it will overflow and shine light and glory on the triune God. 
And then finally, number 22, giving creates binding ties of fellowship, verses 14 and 15. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If you want to make a friend for life, help them in their time of need. There's this commercial that went viral. Maybe you've seen it from Thailand a few years ago. And it's the story of this like, busy Thai marketplace. And there's this little boy, and he gets apprehended by uh, a shopkeeper who catches him shoplifting. And he pulls, he's got a bottle in his hand. He pulls out of his hand, his pocket, some, some packs of things. And it, it's medicine. And she goes, what is this for? And he goes, it's for my mom. So he's stealing medicine for his mom. And, and then this, this restaurant owner comes over. He sees what's happening. He pulls out his money. And he pays the lady for what the boy had stolen. And he asks his daughter. And the, the, the way they did, they serve like soup in a bag. Like, I don't know how that works. You serve soup in a bag. And he gives it to the little boy. And he gives him the medicine to take home to his mom. Then you see it, it says 30 years later, and this old, this old man is much older. He owns this restaurant, and he's still serving, and this homeless man comes up, and he gives him uh, a bag of soup to, to, to eat when he's hungry. And then he falls, and he collapses, and he ends up in the hospital. And uh, his daughter is much older now, and, uh, and he's in the hospital, and she gets this, this bill and the, and the bill, it's, it's all in Thai, but in American money, it's like $25,000, and they have no way that they're going to pay it, and they put a for sale sign up on their restaurant. Then she's, she's by her father's bedside, and she, she finds this envelope. She'd been talking to the doctor, and this envelope shows her invoice again, and all of the charges are zero, 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 zero. And, 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 and the bottom of it says, paid in full 30 years ago with a pack of painkillers and a bag of soup. And it turns out that little boy became the doctor who operated on her father and covered their medical expenses. His generosity returned manifold back to him. How much more so will God not return blessing upon us as we give? So let's just talk about three next steps. Three next steps. Number one, start. Start giving. If you're not giving, start giving. You say, well, it feels like not enough. Well, if you've never given anything, you know what? $5 is a lot more than nothing. $10, I don't, $1, start giving. And, and, and then number two, keep giving. Keep giving. Continue on and keep giving. Make it a habit. I was talking with someone this week, and uh, next week we're going to have a giving testimony um, uh, about the idea that like, it's hard to tithe when, I remember my first, like one of my first jobs, I was making $292 a paycheck, and I would tithe to my church, and I tell you what, a $29 tithe check's a lot easier to write than a $100 tithe check, and a $100 tithe check's a lot easier to write than a $1,000 tithe check, if God ever blesses you in that way. Start now, and keep giving, and as your increase increases, then number three, increase your giving increase your giving. Not just as your income increases, but make it your goal to increase 1% or 0.1%. And make it a game. Make it say, God, I'm going to give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give generously, and I'm going to see what you do in response, because he has promised the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us to the point of this text to hear from you. Um, 
uh, I, I, it's not something I really uh, totally enjoy talking about because it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. Money strikes at the heart uh, of our lives. And uh, Lord, but, but it's ultimately, it's not about me, it's not about our church, but it's about each person here submitting and entrusting to you what they value. So I pray that they would, Lord, not for my sake, not for our church's sake, for their sake, but also for your sake. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Each week we come to the table.